Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. Hi, everybody. Um, last night after the Saturday evening service, uh, Katie and Pastor Stephen and I went out to eat over at uh, uh, BJ's Brew House and... Um, we had a fantastic dinner together. It lasted two and a half hours, and just the heart of your pastor, uh, the heart of your pastors, they just poured out. I'm excited about what is there for the future. If you aren't praying for your pastor every day, today is a great day to start. Amen? Be praying over your pastors and your team as God continues to use this church. And it's been a while since I've been in, and uh, I want to say to you that when I walked in the other day in the new lobby in the kids' area, just fantastic. It, it's, it's amazing. I love that you are investing in the next generation. You know, Nickelodeon and Disney and Xbox are, are spending a bajillion dollars all the time to, uh, to win the hearts and the imagination of our kids. Uh, so the church ought to, ought, ought to not ever, ever be cautious about investing in the next generation because everybody else is wanting to get their heart. The church is going to get their heart. We're going to get it. We're going to get it too. We're going to get it. And, and another thing I just want to say before I jump in is that it, it, don't, don't, don't ever worry about an investment like this with, with, when, when spending money on, on scholarships for camp or, or investing with like the space for kids and for youth and, and kids blast and doing a kids blast kickoff like this all week. I, I, you know, we spend so much money, like so much money. My daughter's 16 in two years. She's going to be going off to college and, uh, or not. I don't know what she's going to do, but. But if we, we spend so much money on the back end of their education with, with school to get a diploma for, or, or to get a degree on something that may, may or may not even follow, and we spend tons of money or we actually get tons of debt to do that, um, and that's on the back end of their education because we believe in education so much. So I just want to say to you, when you invest on the front end in children, especially in the spiritual realm of their Christ-like convictions and conduct and character, you're doing the right thing, investing in character that will then carry them through school and through college and through Votech or whatever they decide to do. It's important to invest in them while they're young. And with that thought in mind, with Kid Blast kickoff, when I was talking to Pastor Stephen and we um, settled on this date, uh, um, I want to talk to the parents and grandparents in the house. Whether you have kids or you don't have kids, this is for everybody. I think everybody's going to get a handlebar from the scripture that we read today. Uh, I hope that none of us leave out uh, the exact same way that we came in spiritually. I hope that all of us would, would leave a little bit different, a little bit challenged, ready to take a next step even deeper with our relationship with Jesus, but I want to I want to jump in with a story that that starts with a real dark, seedy beginning. It starts with a, with a dark moment, um, but but the truth is, uh, in in life and in Scripture, usually there has to be an issue, there has to be a, a darkness, there has to be a struggle for there to be a provision for a miracle. Um, if you're really praying for a miracle, it's probably because there's a need and there's an issue. And we see that issue arising. We go to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 1, the very last scripture, and it reads like this. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy, every Israelite boy that's born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. They didn't mind keeping the, the race around to populate their own ethnicities, but as far as the Hebrew children, the Hebrew men, uh, the, the boys, we're going to wipe out a generation and we're going to get rid of, we're going to get rid of the Hebrews. How in the world, in God's story, do we get to, to this place? Started in the garden, everything's beautiful and, and, and uh, walking with God face to face um, into sin, into cast out of the garden, into God's story of, of being able to start carving out these, this people group. How, how do we get to this point? You gotta, you gotta rewind the story a little bit. Let me give you a little history on where we, how we got to this point before we jump into the rest of this morning's message. 
You have to go back a few hundred years to a man named Abram who is 75 years old and God speaks to Abram that, you know, Abram, I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber the stars in the heavens. And Abram's 75, his wife is 65, and, and, and they wait 25 years for that promise to even come true. In fact, when, when, when Sarah, his wife, overhears, she's like, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> like, this oven ain't making no bread. What you talking about? But sure enough, God shows up, and at, a, at, nine, at, at 190 years old, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And God also gives another promise, 7,000 promises in the Bible from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, that you can hang on to. I'm so thankful for a God that has kept every single one of his promises. And there's another promise that's yet to be seen, but it's coming, and that he is going to come back someday. It's a promise. You can take it to the bank. The other 6,999 promises are there, and you can trust them, and you can build your life on them, and you can build your life on the reality that God cares a lot about you. And he gives another promise to Abram, and he says, all nations through you, Abram, are going to be blessed, all nations. And it's a sneak peek. It's what we call a messianic prophecy that the Messiah is going to come and is going to be through the line of Abraham, a a Jew, that a Messiah is going to come. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. So when we say Jesus the Messiah, it's Jesus the anointed one. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ is the Greek word for the same thing. Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Somebody asked me in our church, you know, it was, was Mary's last name Christ? Was it Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ? He said, no, no, that's just the, the anointed one. We are like barely saved at our church, so we're just still figuring it out. But, but uh, uh, even the pastor maybe sometimes, I don't know. But uh, uh, this promise is there, and so we begin to see this promise unfold, and Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and Jacob gets the birthright. So much, you ought to read the Bible. It's so interesting. And, and it's not just a bunch of little bitty stories all tucked in there. It's actually one big story, and the story theme, the storyline, the arc of the whole story is the majesty of who God is and who God loves. That's what the Bible's all about, who God is and who God loves. It's one big story, and we see it beginning to unfold with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then Jacob, he doesn't have two kids. He's got 12, and it's like desperate housewives of Canaan up in there because not only is Jacob married to Rachel, he's also married to a woman named Leah. He loved Rachel, but Leah was kind of forced on him. It was a whole crazy deal by the father-in-law. Like, you know, this is where we start getting in-law jokes going because of the in-law situations. You know the difference between an in-law and an outlaw? Outlaws are are wanted. <laughs> Just sorry. So, uh, but you have twelve sons. You 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 have. Oh yeah, your in laws are staying with you right now. That's because he was so complaining last night at dinner. No, I'm kidding. Ever, I'm kidding. Family, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ish, ish. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So so he has 12, but it's not just 12 sons from one wife. It's two wives and two maidservants, and all of them are having babies like everywhere. And we get to the 11th child. How many of you grew up the favorite of your family? You grew up the favorite. Not a single older person in here. Not a single oldest child in there, right right there. That's all young kids, right? If you're the oldest, that's an anomaly, okay? But but, uh, the 11th son is the favorite child. You, you would think the firstborn, you know, or, or the, the finalborn, but the 11th out of 12 is the favorite child. His name is Joseph. And the reason why he's the favorite is because the woman that Jacob really loved, Rachel, after all these children, 10 children, she could never give birth. She was barren until the 11th child, and she gives birth to Joseph. And Joseph, because of this special bond between Jacob and Rachel, he, you know, Joseph has kind of the run of the place and and he's also like there's designs in him from God God's giving him visions and the rest of the children are a little they struggle with that but like at Christmas time when when all the other kids get oranges and and tic tacs and you know tube socks in their stocking Joseph gets a Gucci coat and an Xbox okay like like he's just he's just the and then he's and then you know be careful who you share your dreams with 
Be careful. Who, you know, Mary, when he, she heard that she, she pondered these things in her heart, be careful who you share your dreams with. Joseph, it might get you thrown into a well. It just will. Uh, Joseph's sharing his dreams like, hey, 11 brothers, you know, I had this crazy dream that like there were 11 stalks of grain, these bushels of grain, and they were all, they, they, they were all bowing down to my grain. Isn't that, what do you think that means? And, and you know, Reuben's like, hold me back. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Hold me back, Simeon. And, and, and like he, different things like that, that he would just, he, he was naive and innocent, but, but they just, they were bitter towards him. And so instead of killing him, they, they act like they, they fake his death and they throw him into a well. And later they, they trade him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. And he finds himself moving from Canaan into the land of Egypt. And he is sold to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's a general in the army. And Potiphar's got a big household to take care of, a large kingdom in his, in his own right to take care of. And he says, well, Joseph, I don't know what all you're going to do. Start pulling the weeds. And before you know it, Joseph has made the landscape the best on the cul-de-sac. Like he just has a gift of making things excellent. And then Potiphar says, man, you did good with the landscaping. How about, check out the, the, the garage is a mess. It's disorganized. And my old Chevy pickup, it's not been running for a long time. And before you know it, Potiphar comes home one night after some, some javelin sparring with his team. And he comes home and he hears, and the Chevy pickup is running again. And, and, and Potiphar's like, Joseph, Joey, Jojo, my man. He says, hey, why don't you start paying my bills? Like, start paying the bills. Take over my accounts. Do some mutual funds. Meet with my broker. And so Joseph starts taking, because he's got favor with the Lord, and man, he starts taking ownership of all these different things, and he's paying the bills, and things are on time, and he's getting reward miles on his credit cards. I mean, Potiphar, all he has to do is, like, go to the deer lease, eat some food, and he doesn't have to worry about his house. And what kind of happens, it looks like, is he kind of forsakes not only his responsibility abilities of the man of the house uh, with the physical things, but also with his relational things, because Joseph, now he's cleaning the pool one day, and their poolside is Mrs. Potiphar. We'll call her Hotifer, because Mrs. Hotifer, she leans those Gucci glasses down like the cougar that she is. She goes, mm-hmm, I'd like to have me some Joseph. <laughs> So one day she gives all the attendants the day off. Here, here, Starbucks gift cards, go to Chick-fil-A, get out of the house. Don't come back, knock three times. And Joseph walks in after checking the mail and he's looking through the bills and he's organizing them and he comes in and everything's dark and candle lit and there's a fire in the fireplace and Marvin Gaye's playing on the record player. I gotta get to my sermon, I gotta get to my sermon. And Mrs. Hotifer grabs him and says, come to bed with me. It's like the third time she's asked him, and, and, and he's struggling. He's like he's going through PTSD of being thrown in the well by his brothers, you know. Mrs. Hotifer's just trying to take advantage of him. He runs away. She rips his clothes off, and he runs down the street, and Potiphar comes home, and she goes, oh, you'll never believe what happened. He took advantage of me. And Potiphar's angry and throws Joseph into prison. There in prison, though, God shows him favor. It's amazing how much we look at our surroundings and try and judge God's ability to be with us or how he's navigating our lives just by the physical surroundings. Joseph had plenty of reasons to start struggling with God. You, you, you've been with me. You've given me some dreams. Are you, are you really here? But yet Joseph trusted in the Lord. And through a crazy turn of events, some of the cooking staff, wine taster and the baker of the Pharaoh's palace are thrown in. It must have been a bad cheesecake day or something. And, and Pharaoh got upset, threw him into prison. Until the souffle is right, you're going to be in jail. And, and uh, they get brought back. And Joseph says, if you're in front of the king, you know, don't forget me here in prison. And sure enough... Pharaoh has a dream, and he can't interpret it, and somebody there, he's bringing him the wine, they're cooking the food, they say, hey, there's a guy in prison, his name's Joseph, he interprets dreams, and they bring Joseph from prison into the palace in front of Pharaoh, the, the, the greatest ruler of the day, and he says, I've got this crazy dream, and basically, Joseph interprets it like this, he says, here's what your dream means, there's going to be years of crazy success, like money, 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 money. But then there's going to be tons of years of uh, famine. And in order, let's not just live crazy here. 
We got to be good stewards while we have it so that when the famine comes, we'll still be strong and will not be annihilated by our enemies that have been smarter with us than our finances. And sure enough, Pharaoh is so impressed, just like Potiphar. He says, hey, I'm going to get you in charge. And he makes him the viceroy. He makes him the governor of Egypt. And sure enough, the famine comes after great years of success. And his old brothers, 11 boys and the rest of the girls and the mom and the dad, and they're all over in Canaan and, 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 and they're struggling to stay alive because of the famine. And so the boys come into Egypt and they go in front of the governor of, of Egypt and they don't recognize him because he's like now, he's all Egypt up. He's got the eyeliner and the blue mascara, you know, and he's got the gold and the man bun and the, he's walking like an Egyptian. He's talking like an Egyptian. <laughs> I'm sorry. You may not get anything out of this today, but, but I'm going to have a good time. All right. I, this is how it is. Um, and Joseph says, can you excuse me, boys, just for a moment? I just need to tell. And he goes behind the curtain. He's like, oh. he's overcome because this is his family. And he could have been overcome with anger. And he could have ripped down the curtain and stepped down in front of that throne and said, put a javelin through their throats, boys. But he shows the incredible grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. Oh, the story of the Bible is the majesty of who God is and who God loves, and he shows it through every single story. And sure enough, he reveals to him, it's me. And they're like, no. And he's like, yeah. And they're like, no. And he's like, yeah. And he gives them all they need. And not only does he bless them, but through uh, a couple of invitations, all of the family, about 70 of them or so, they pack up all their stuff like the Canaan hillbill, Beverly Hillbillies and they come move in in that little country, that little tiny country of Jacob, which we will know later is Israel, the country of Israel, all those tribes, those boys, they come in and it's a country within a country. And that, those Israelites begin to live inside the land of Egypt and they are taken well care of. They, they, they are honored because their son, one of the 11 of the 12 sons, is the viceroy of Egypt. But as many things go, over generations we can forget. We can forget what was sacrificed. We can forget what was taught. Um, what we tend to, to, to be guarded on in one generation, the next generation may lower their guard. The next generation may embrace things that were once guarded as sacred uh, uh, be, or, or unholy. We, 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 can, we can grab onto those things if we're not careful because it just there's a drift that takes place. And that's what happens. In fact, the scripture says, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. Several hundred years go by. And the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This country within the country now is growing and growing and growing. And then a new king to whom, everybody say it with me, Joseph meant nothing. Say it with me. Joseph meant nothing. The generation has forgotten how they even got there. A new king came into town, into power in Egypt, and said, look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they're going to be even more numerous. And if war breaks out, you know, you know what's going to happen. They're going to join our enemies. They're going to fight against us, and they're going, to, they're going to leave the country, and they're going to leave us basically to be pillaged and ransacked. And, and, and so we come full circle because of this. Because of scared that they may take over, Pharaoh gives the rule of infanticide. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile and let every girl live. That's the last passage in Exodus 1. Then we go to Exodus 2. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and with pitch, and she placed the child in it. Another translation says, place the child in an ark. It, you know, in Genesis, we have the biggest ark of the Bible. In Exodus, we've got the, the smallest ark. I've entitled this message, Baby Ark. And for parents that, that listen to music, Baby Ark, do, 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 do. <clears throat> place that ark in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Let's keep going. His sister, uh, 
the, the baby's sister, we'll later know as Miriam, she stood at a distance to see what happened to him. And then Pharaoh's daughter in the, in the, in the office, in the family of the guy who has, has ordered the annihilation of these babies, Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. And then, this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Can I just pause for a second and say, no matter what kind of family you came from or no matter what even the law of the day is, even through scripture we see that that life is valuable. There's a value in lives, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, no, no, no matter what, God values human life. E- even, the, even the family of the man who was ordering the genocide. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, this is the baby's mom. Pharaoh said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. Just lock that in because we're going to unpack that in just a minute. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, so the biological mom of this baby in this basket, her name is Jochebed and her husband's name was Amram. Two sexy names. If you're thinking, if you're pregnant, Amram and Jochebed. Anyway. When the child grew older, we don't know how much older he was when when the uh, biological mom brought the baby back to Pharaoh's daughter, but she nursed him for a long time. Probably she, I don't know, she could have been guilty of nursing him too long. I mean, this is his baby, you know, and nursing is great. Sometimes people nurse too long. You know how it is. If they have braces, it's probably too long. It's probably too long. So we don't know how old he was, but but, uh, over time she brought him. Sorry, that's my my brain going wild. ADD. (laughs) She named a bird. She named him Moses after she was brought, that baby was brought back. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's say a quick prayer and let's unpack this today. Father, you are the host and we are the guest. It's okay for us to say we invite you into this place, but really you're the one that's done the inviting today. Long before the alarm went off this morning, long before we even made plans this morning, you were inviting us to an intersection of opportunity right now, in this moment, on this day, in this house. So in this intersection, may we not waste it. Speak to us. Open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear what you would want to say. May we leave here saying to one another, today I've heard from God. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen. This is an iconic story. It's in all like the children's Bible stories. That, you know, no doubt that, that MWC Kids talks about this neat little story. It's a cute, it's precious, it's a you know, story in the Bible. It's crazy because it's really not because we're talking about mass genocide. We're talking about babies in the river. I mean, it's, it, but, but we, we love this cute little piece of it about the baby and the basket and the crocodiles that are just looking there all smiley and not doing anything. It's a lot more intense than that. But beyond this story being about Moses, who will later deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt and go through the Red Sea and towards the Promised Land, beyond this just being a a historical lesson about the nation of Israel, uh, I I I want to remind you that this is a picture of Christ. I mean, you see Moses in it, but this is really a picture of of, of Christ. All throughout the scripture, there's something going on called a lower story and an upper story. Jesus, when he says, when he answers the question, how should we pray? He says, pray like this. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is an upper story in heaven that God is, is wanting us to embrace and allow it to be happening here. What we're living here is the lower story. And so the lower story is Moses and the Israelites and Pharaoh, but there's an upper story. And the upper story is uh, before the foundations of the earth were formed, the Lamb of God would be slain. 
And there's, there's going to be sneak peeks, little, little previews before the movie that before Jesus becomes completely human and completely di- divine through the conception of the Holy Spirit in a teenage girl named Mary, there's going to be, over those couple of thousand of years, there's going to be snapshots, little, little, just, just, just little Facebook posts here and there of pictures of Jesus that is yet to come. And this, this is a picture of the Almighty Deliverer. Moses knows this too, because later in another book he wrote, he wrote Exodus, he wrote the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. It's not me, okay? I'm not the end all be all. There's someone coming beyond me like me from among you, from fellow Israelites, listen to him. Listen to him. Then later, if you fast forward to Jesus, right before he's crucified, uh, buried, and resurrected, it's the Mount of Transfiguration where he walks up the mountain. He's glorified. Peter's there, some other disciples. Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. And the God, the Father's voice shows up and says, listen to him. And it's like this whole story's come full circle now. That what Moses was saying, there's someone coming like me. It's like, it's like Jesus and Elijah and Moses are also like, can you believe we're finally here? It's about ready to happen. Moses is like, I know. <laughs> Elijah's like, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Elijah's like, no way. And Jesus is like, Yahweh. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's, a, <laughs> it's so stupid. I'm so stupid. <laughs> oh. You've got to listen to him. And so I just want to show you this picture of Christ. There's these similarities between Moses and Jesus that if you haven't seen, it's just a good reminder that there's snapshots of Jesus all throughout Scripture. Here's just a few. Both escaped infanticide. Both had kings that were drunk with pride and power, and one was to annihilate the Hebrews there in Egypt. The other one was King Herod to annihilate the Jews there in Judea, uh, those boys, because he had heard there was a king coming, and he was trying to self Preserve. Isn't it amazing how self-preservation is a major issue in the Bible? It's why we're called to sacrifice. It's why we're called to surrender. It's why we're called to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Because we love to try and self-preserve. He's trying to self-preserve with his pride. And it caused both Moses and Jesus escaped infanticide. Uh, Moses escaped by going into Pharaoh's house. Jesus escaped by actually going into Egypt just like uh, Moses went into the, the heart of Egypt. It's, it's an amazing story. You ought to read the Bible. It's really interesting. It really is. You ought to read it. Here's another one. Moses delivered law from a mountain, Mount Sinai, after they crossed the Red Sea. And about 50 days from the Exodus, he delivers the, the, the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. But Jesus delivered law from a mountain, too. The mountain was Calvary. Uh, the difference is that Jesus, uh, uh, Moses was do and do not. They, they were commandments that were about um, um, cultivating uh, the way a nation had to respond to everyday life and was giving them some guardrails for living. And it was all do and don't. And this is how we're going to figure it out but God had a plan since the very beginning of time that it wasn't ever going to be about what you could do or don't even though we went through a process it was a picture to show you that it's not about what you could ever do it's not about what you ever didn't do in fact Jesus delivers law from the mountain but his law is done it's finished it's completed that's what we live by today do and do nots, do and do nots are fine for religious folks. But we that are living in grace and truth, we lean into Jesus, not what we could ever do, not what we could ever say, not how we could ever walk. Is he calling us to live holy lives? You betcha, but it's not holiness in and of yourself on how you do this and how you do this and how long your shorts are. It, it's all about what Christ has done on the cross. These are the similarities. Here, here's another one. Uh, Moses delivered Hebrews from slavery there in Egypt, but Jesus delivers humanity from slavery for all time and he provides freedom that's way beyond the bondage the Israelites understood in the physical it's it's stuff in the in the spiritual and the physical here's one more brought them to the promised land Moses did he brought them to the edge but Moses wasn't perfect and he actually um, he got sidelined to be able to walk into the promised land and he had to hand the baton off to Joshua but Jesus he didn't just tell us hey go to the promised land he actually leaves and he prepares a place for us that when he comes again he's going to receive us to himself and so I want to remind you today that this is not really I know it's your home but it's not your home I know this is your place but this is not your place I know this is a city but this ain't your city 
Your citizenship is a citizenship, but your citizenship really is in heaven. That's the ultimate citizenship. That's where we are headed, and Jesus has prepared the promised land for those that put their trust in him. So this story is a picture of Christ, but, but this is also a story that is a common story in your life and in mine, and here it is. This is a story of the enemy trying to keep salvation from coming. The enemy is trying to do whatever he can to keep salvation from coming because he knows the promises of God too. He can quote scripture. Oh, you can quote scripture? Great. The devil can quote scripture. Give me something else. But, but the, enemy knows, the enemy knows the promises of God and he knows that if he can annihilate the Jews in this moment in Egypt, the promise that, that God gave Abraham that all nations will be blessed by you through your seed, that, that becomes null and void and the enemy wins. But I want to tell you, the enemy ain't going to win. He's going to try to keep salvation from coming. And sometimes, you know what? He can delay those things because we lean into the enemy's tactics. We can, we can succumb to his stealing, killing, and destroying his lies. He's a father of lies. You know what his language is? It, language is lie. That's what his language is. The devil speaks fluent lie. And he wants to lie that, no, you're not going to, you'll never be able to. How could you even think about, it? don't ever go back to church. The, 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 the walls will cave in if you go back. Like, there, there's so many lies of the enemy. And this is a story of the enemy trying to keep salvation from coming. But I hate to break it to you. I want a spoiler alert. God will not be stopped. God will not be stopped. Great story. Just a few takeaways. If you're taking notes, Four thoughts from this passage, and then we're going to pray, and I believe that already God is wanting to stir some of you that may, you may have drifted from, from center. Jesus, you want him to be the center of your life, but you've drifted. Uh, some of you, you may be here, and truth be told, uh, you, you're, you're investigating the claims of Christ. I want you to know this is a safe place you can investigate Jesus. Like, like we, we, we're, we're, this is a bunch of people that it, it's okay not to be okay. We just don't want you to stay that way. And we don't want you to stay not okay. We all, we all are not okay in a certain respect. But we don't want to stay that way. And, and I want to say for, for those of you with children, we're going to pray over your children in a moment. The same way we dedicated these kids to the Lord and these parents to the Lord, Pastor Stephen and Katie. We're, we're going to pray over our kids and kids blast. And kids, you've never locked eyes on today. So I hope that you're being stirred right now because we're going to end this sermon in a few moments Believing that God is going to do what only he can do and that the enemy, although as hard as he may try, is not going to keep salvation from coming to this generation and the next and the next and the next until Jesus comes. Four thoughts. Four thoughts. Number one, there is no such thing as an ordinary child. The scripture that we read in Exodus 2, when Jochebed saw that he was a fine child, she saw that, oh, there was something about him. Um, in, in Hebrews, in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, it's not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith, but there's famous people in the Bible there. We read about this story again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. In other words, they were courageous and bold against whatever the government was saying because they knew what was right in God's eyes versus what the government was saying was right in their eyes. They were bold. He was no ordinary child. But they weren't seeing this on the complexion of his skin. It wasn't because he came out all nice and tan and whatnot and nice level headed without a bunch of you know awkwardness and I know how all moms are your babies are born and they're like oh, that's so beautiful and all of us are like yeah you know yeah they're good they're cool they're cool you know probably not the best looking baby in the world but that's okay but moms, you can't help like, oh, but this isn't what Jochebed is doing because it wouldn't be a faith thing. It would be a physical thing. It a faith thing is what you can't see. Faith is not on what you see. Faith is on, on what you believe even when you can't see it. That's faith. And so when she says when, when by faith they saw, it means they were seeing beyond the physical realities and they were looking deeper 
in. And I want to say to you and to I as parents, grandparents, as men and women of God, you got to see beyond the ordinary. You got to look beyond the surface. You got to allow God to strengthen you way beyond eyesight. And he's got to give you something more. So, so write this down. You got to see beyond eyesight. Your eyesight may be 20-20, but he's saying see with faith. In fact, you're not a see beyond eyesight. See with insight. Faith gives us insight. And that's where God wants us to live. To, I know this is what you see, but I'm planning this. I, I know it looks like this, but, but here's my plan. I know you've heard it say do it this way, but I want you to see beyond the eyesight of that, Jesus says. And I want you to see deeper with, with faith. See with insight. And some of you, you need to see because on the outside, it's hard to see some things, you know. Our kids running around, throwing stuff. If I tell you one more time, bless God. Just wait till your dad, wait till your mom gets home, whatever. I mean, however it is in your house. Like, like there is this, it can be frustrating. It can be hard to see with insight. It's easier to see on the physical. In fact, we are designed, the Bible says, man looks on the outward but God looks at the heart. God's eyesight is insight. He has no problem seeing all the way through. So we want, to, we want the Holy Spirit to empower us to see beyond the external and to see with insight. And you know what? Sometimes you got to look deep, like deep in there, like x-ray vision in there to see some good things on that prodigal child. See, good, some, see some good things because they've been running crazy. But that's what God's inviting us into, to see with insight. But you know what? It's one thing to see it, but you gotta, you got to say it. In fact, write it down. you got to say what you see. I, I, I've heard somebody say to me before, you know what? You just do what you're doing. If, if, uh, if you're ever doing anything wrong, I'll let you know. Do you know what kind of advice that is? Stupid advice. That's dumb advice. That, that is not wisdom. We got we to speak out, say what we see with insight into our kids, into our spouses. Believe, just to be honest with you, did anybody ever grow up, just to be honest with you, where you, you, weren't, you weren't told the, the positive things? You weren't said those things. Um, maybe you had a, a family or parents, and, and it was hard. I, anybody not really grow up be, her, hearing the, the affirmation? Yeah. I want you to know the power of the Bible is it's God's love letter saying all kinds of things to you that man will never say, that, that maybe you didn't hear, that maybe you wish they would just come back and say sorry Jesus gives us his word because he's seen with insight and he's inviting us to do the same. Say what you see. Finally, do this. Speak to their potential. Speak to your kids' potential more than their problems. Speak to the potential more than their problems. Listen, I got, I got a son. He's 10 years old. He's on the all-star team and just, just playing at state. He's on a select ball team. Being a pastor and being on select ball, that's like crazy. We're trying to figure out, navigate the tension between sports and church. And we're at church and it's God, family, and then ball. But, but we try and, we're trying to do this thing one day at a time, you know. And, and he's involved in sports and he loves it. And, and, and I can be guilty sometimes of getting excited in the game. I've only been kicked out twice. I'm kidding. Not, I've never been kicked out. Never been kicked out. My wife has, but not me. Um, no, okay. Uh, but, but like, like, you know, when you're around, especially T-ball, it's crazy how parents get like, I had a tiger up in there. Like hustle. Let's go. Come on, Braden. Come on, Skyler. Go turbo. Whatever our names are these days, you know, you know, turbo, go turbo, go turbo. Blaze, go blaze, you know, like we're just getting them. But then, like, if they're not, they're kids, they're t-ball kids. Like, they want to go home and watch, you know, whatever it's called these days. What is the, the, the I don't even, I can't even remember my, my brain. I was going to say bubble guppies, but whatever. They're, they're like, they're kids. And, our, and, and us as parents, we can get so caught up, like, go, 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 hustle, hustle. Come on, you got to swing the bat. You're never going to hit the ball unless you don't swing the bat. You got to swing the bat. And we can so quickly speak to the problem. We can. My wife is, is, is a more potential speaker than 
than I am. Like, Son, you're not going to hit the ball. You don't swing. And, and now he's into, he's hitting the ball so great now. And, and, but like, you know, I can get in, in, in Janet's is like, you're amazing. You're the cutest boy out there. You're so awesome. You struck, you swung that bat so good. You know, she just, she just speaks with potential. Wouldn't it be crazy, parents, if our kids actually, um, like reversed, if the roles were, re- were, were reversed and you got up on Monday morning and your kid's pulling on your big toe, hey, hey, you said you were gonna get up at 6.30. You've hit the snooze button twice. You gotta hustle. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Dad, that promotion's not gonna win itself. Come on, you gotta get out there. You gotta have the eye of the tiger. What are you doing looking on Facebook right now? We gotta be about getting this family to the next subdivision, okay? All right, that nice little house with the extra guest area in, 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 on the east side ain't gonna build itself, Dad. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Friends, take a week and determine before your family, before God, don't say a single critical thing on Facebook. Don't like a single critical thing. Be someone who speaks potential over complaint. Everybody can complain about problems. What, you think that you're like politically astute because you can say, I don't like things. Yeah, my kids can say that about spaghetti. Like, you, you, that's not special. <laughs> Speak to their potential more than their problems. I gotta go, I'm, out of, I'm, I'm running out of time. You with me this morning, everybody? All right. There is no such thing as an ordinary child, no matter what you were told or what you weren't told. There is greatness tucked inside of you. Not not, not because of pedigree. But because you're designed by Jesus. Before you were even knit completely together in your mother's womb, he knew you. Second thought on this passage, number two. God's not the only one who knows you're special. Just like the enemy wanted to keep salvation from coming and tried to wipe out Moses, just like the enemy tries to keep salvation from coming by trying to wipe out Jesus, the enemy knows that there's greatness tucked inside of you too. He, 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 he knows that if he can get at you, and he knows that if he can get at our kids young, if he, can, if he can get a handlebar in a child young, in a teenager young, and the handlebars that the enemy are using are so easily accessible this, this day and age. And, and if, he can just, if he can just damper that greatness tucked inside there, if he can just slow it down, if he can just get you busy, if he can just get you f- focusing on a whole bunch of things instead of focusing on the main thing. Wow, you know what? The, like, parents shouldn't be afraid of failing. We should be afraid of succeeding in stuff that at the end of the day doesn't, doesn't really matter. That's what we should be afraid of. We, we should be focused on the things that matter most. And I want to say to you, Grandpa, that the enemy that was coming against you is the same enemy that was coming against David, the king, and is the same enemy coming against your five-year-old. In fact, write it down. There is no such thing as a child-sized devil. There's no child-sized devil. It's the the same enemy for you, Dad, that it is for your four-year-old. And and, and his, his M.O. is to steal, kill, and destroy. The good news is, though, God will not be stopped, and there is no child-sized Holy Spirit. And so the same Holy Spirit that, that, that births some kind of courage in a Jacobed, the same kind of courage that brings faith to see what they wouldn't normally see, that same spirit that, 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 that is, is activated, that raises Christ from the dead, that same spirit, if invited, lives inside of you. And you don't, ha- you don't have to play uh, victim to the enemy anymore. You can be victorious 
because of that spirit that is just as strong. In fact, it's not like this yin and yang. It's not the black and white symbol where it's, it's equal and there's control and there's chaos. It's not like, it's not like two you know, MMA fighters that are going the distance. It, it's not like you know, a, a Rocky and Apollo Creed where, where God's one of them and, and the enemy's the other or, or Rocky and Ivan Drago on Rocky IV. Ah, America, Russia, you watch it, it's great. It's not this thing that's like toe-to-toe. You never know what might happen. No, no. Jesus is strong. The enemy is defeated. Jesus is strong. The enemy is defeated. He may think he won. He's not won. God will not be stopped. You can take it to the bank. Number three. And I love this part of the story. The enemy's impotence to destroy the people of God is ironically exposed. It's just, I love the Bible. You ought to read it. It's great. It's ironic what happens next. For a few months, this little baby is nursed by Jochebed. And one morning, as Amram pulls up in his Dodge Ram, because he's a Dodge guy, because his dad was a Dodge guy. That's why they named him Amram. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was just not in the notes. Uh, <laughs> Amram pulls up in the front yard into the driveway and, and secretly unlocks the, you know, quickly unlocks the front door and goes in and says, come here. And they, and they, they pull open the curtains and down the road on, uh, at the houses, about five houses down, there, there are people standing in the yard and there's soldiers moving through the yard. And it's, it's, it's like Holocaust 1.0, really. And they say, okay, it's time. And they break the proverbial safe, the glass, and they pull the, the little baby ark out. And, they, and, they, and they, get, they, get, they get the little baby Moses wrapped up, and they're, they're escaping out the, back, about, out the back door and down through the, the trees and, 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 and over to the bank of the Nile River. And can you imagine, can you imagine the sheer horror of a mama, of, of a mama, who's about ready to place her baby in water in a little boat and probably never see him again. But can you imagine the equal horror of staying and not doing anything and watching their own child slaughtered in your living room? And so she kisses him as many times as she can kiss him on the face. And she's praying prayers of God in her Hebrew language over this baby. And she's believing what she can't see right now, but she's got to hang on to that insight. And, and Amram's over there, and she's like, baby, we got to go. We got to go. We don't have time. We're out of time. We're out of time. We got to get back. And, and she, she grabs onto Miriam, and she says, Miriam, would you just go down, the, go down the shore and just come back and tell me what happens? And they, they place that just so subtly into the water and they give it a nudge and they've got to run back and Miriam is trying to be secretive. She's going through the back part of the neighborhood and follows that little papyrus basket coated with tar and pitch for I don't know how long, but we get to this place where it's the nicer part of town and the steps lead down onto the clean shore and there a group of, of, of girls from the palace are laughing and splashing and doing the ceremonial washing and the bathing and, and that little basket comes nestled into the reeds. And we don't know exactly what happens, but it must be God that just gives him a little pinch on the toe, you know, just a little pinch. And Moses goes, <laughs> and they look up. They said, you hear that? Was that a duck? Over on the others, like, ah, flack. No, there's a, what? <laughs> Sorry. Gives him a little pinch. And like, you know, the Pharaoh's daughter, she, she's, she's brave, but she ain't that brave because she's like, hey, servant girl, go in the reeds and go get it for me. <laughs> I don't want to get bit by a snake. Ew. Ew. Gross. You don't even know. And so the slave, the slave girl goes, goes up. And thank you, Stephen, for this one time I got to preach in your church. Uh, uh, and she gets up and she gra- grabs it. It's a, it's a Hebrew boy. It's a Hebrew boy. And they know, they know they put two and two together. There's intuition. Whoa, somebody's trying to protect. And you know what? Pharaoh's daughter's in on it. You can, you can t- like, 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 this isn't right what we're doing. 
Because if, if she was in on it, she would have said, uh-uh, feed him to the crocodiles. But she's like, oh, what do we do? Let's do, I'll keep him for myself. God will not be stopped. He'll even go into the enemy's house. He'll use the tactics of the enemy. Like what was meant to destroy Moses was actually the source of rescue. All the other babies being thrown into the Nile. Moses is put in the Nile and he's rescued out of it. And out pops Miriam like this crazy all of a sudden 12-year-old right out of the reeds. (laughs) Hi. It's like, hi. And then... uh, I know know a woman in the Hebrew village that would be willing to nurse him if you wanted. I don't, you know, like, really, is she good? Yeah, she's like Hebrew Mary Poppins. She's amazing. You've got to check her out. Yeah, bring her. Can Can you read between the lines of Miriam running back to the house? I mean runs back to the house and back through the back door and I can only imagine mom laying in the middle of the floor weeping grief and shock and she comes to mama, 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 get up, get up. He's been found. It's going to be okay. Come with me. And she's wiping her mascara. She's like, are you lying to me, child? Don't lie to me, child. She's like, get your shoes on and let's go. And little 12-year-old brings, brings mama over and introduces the baby's mama to the future mother. And she says, would you, would you nurse him for me? And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't even think she could even say anything. Miriam's like, yes, yes, she'll nurse him, you know, yes. And she takes that baby and she goes, I'm going to pay you. Do you see the irony here? You see the irony? Pharaoh's saying, we're going to get rid of these suckers. And God's saying, you ain't going to do nothing. In fact, not only are they not going to get rid of, but I'm going to bring a deliverer, and he's going to eat at your dinner table until he's 40 years old. And in the meantime, I'm going to pay the baby mama from the first bank of Egypt to get him the nurse's milk that he needed most so he could be prepared to go into the house of the enemy and someday deliver the people from Egypt. That's the God we serve. God we serve oh Jesus is so good everybody he's just so he's so right and he's so powerful and he won't be he won't be stopped and in the meantime though when we're in our own proverbial Niles all we want to do is is God change the situation get me out of this mess but author Mark Battison says it like this many times the circumstances we ask God to change are often the circumstances God is using to change us. You know, there, there, is, there is no miracle without the problem. Um, there, there's, there's certain muscles that you, you get, faith muscles, when you don't know what to do. And instead of God sometimes pulling us out of the dark moment or the valley of the shadow of death, we walk through it and know he is with us because walking the terrain of that dark valley, the next time you or maybe your child or maybe someone you know is starting that journey, you say, hey, I walk with you just like Jesus walks with you because I know where there's some I know where there's some potholes. I know where there's some dark places. I know where the wolves would want to hang out at night and want to get you over there. But I've been there and, and that circumstance changed me. Seeds are planted, and they take a while to germinate. Let, let the seeds that were, that were sown germinate into what God wants them to become, and it takes some time. Finally, number four, and I want everybody to just look, look, look at me right in the eyes here. Let your deliverance define you, not your dysfunction. Let your deliverance define who you are and whose you are not your dysfunction. Recent poll is out. The statistics are in. 100% of people have some kind of dysfunction. It's true, 100% of people. And you say, oh, not me. That's your dysfunction. You're, you, you, you are unaware. 
You are not self-aware. That's your dysfunction. No, bless God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You got some dysfunction, bud. You know why? Because your mom and dad has some kind of dysfunction. You got some, you put the fun in dysfunction. Look to the person next to you, especially if they're your spouse, and say, you're so dysfunctional. And I love you anyway. We all got some dysfunction. And I want to say something to you, MWC. This culture wants to define you by dysfunction. Wants to define you by something contrary to the moral compass known as the word of God. From, from identity to sexuality to morality to ethics to what we do, what we say, what's right, what's left. We want to define us by our dysfunctions. You know, you know we... we, we and it, we, we, there's disorders and there's all kinds of things from, from um, uh, disabilities to disorders. And those things are a reality. We just spent all week with one of, one of my, my nephews who um, is not a special needs kid. He just is a child that has special needs. He's not, dis, he's not defined by that name. His name's Caleb. His name's not special needs Caleb. His name's Caleb. And the reality is we can so be defined by the dysfunctional pieces. I, I, I'm, I'm a control freak or this or my daddy never said. And, and you, can let, you can let what people said or what happened to you or, or things, that can define you. It can. In fact, write it down. You, you can focus on what you've been put in. I didn't ask to be put in this divorce. That was them. You can focus on, I never asked, I, I, I why, why did this happen? Why did I get hurt? Why did I get abused? Why, why did the Lord let this happen? Why, why, did, why did the marriage not work? Why is he so angry all the time? Why, why? And I'm put in this, and I'm put in this situation. I'm put in this scenario. Why did they die? Why did this not work? Why did, the, why did I get fired? Why didn't this happen? Why did we have to move? And we can so focus on what we've been put in. And I want to say that's one way the enemy will try to keep salvation from coming. Or... You can be put, you can focus on what you've been drawn from. Did you notice that scripture? Did you notice it that, that Pharaoh's daughter, it wasn't even, Jochebed didn't even get to, to name him. Jochebed uh, gave the baby to, Mo, to, to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter said, I'm going to name him Moses. And Moses wasn't, I found this baby I found this baby in the river. Moses wasn't a name that, you know, meant baby basket or basket in the reeds. Moses means he was drawn from the water. So you can focus that this didn't happen or this did happen. You can, you can be focused on that you were put in the darkness or you, you can be drawn from the darkness and into the marvelous light. Jesus is a, an exchange per, uh, genius. He says, hey, you got ashes in your hands? Hey, hand them over to me. I'll draw you out of the ashes and I'll give you beauty. You've been clothed with despair? Take those clothes off. I got garments of praise for you. I'm, I'm going to cover you with joy, actually. I'm gonna, I've got something for you. If you will allow me to draw you from great things can happen. Let me end with this little story, and we're, we're going to pray. Anybody ever been to Keturah, Paraguay? Keturah, anybody vacationed at Keturah? I don't know why you have. It's not really a vacation spot. There's no, like, you know, beaches, all-inclusive, adults-only resort there. In fact, this is what Keturah looks like. Keturah is um, the recipient of three million pounds of trash from the country of Paraguay every single day. Three million pounds of trash is dumped. Keturah is not a city. Keturah is basically a landfill. It's a, it's, it's, it's a garbage dump. And yet there are 1,200 families that eke out an existence amongst the garbage. That is their home. And there's so many families there, 1,200 families. There's hundreds and, and thousands of kids and so Paraguay has figured out how to even provide school on the neighboring areas for those kids to go to school. The way they make their money is the 10 cents for, for plastic recycling, 15 cents for cardboard. And, and you see these, these places, those are just people that live in Keturah rummaging through the trash to find plastic 
and cardboard. There was a music teacher that came to the school there in Katura, Paraguay. CNN did a huge deal. 60 Minutes did a deal. You can find it online. Um, this music teacher came and said, I want to teach these kids music. And so they started singing. And then he said, hey, would you guys like to learn instruments? And their eyes were so bright. They're like, oh, we would love that. He said, well, do you guys have any instruments? They said, no, we don't have any instruments. Does anybody have a violin? No, a violin costs more than their home. So they couldn't afford to even give them instruments. But this music teacher got resourceful. <laughs> I love this story. The music teacher found a guy, a carpenter in Katura named Jose Gomez. And Jose Gomez, he, he said, Jose, would you be able to make a violin? And he goes, what's a violin? He says, if I showed you a picture, could you make it? He said, I could try. Shows him a picture of a violin, and Jose goes into the dump, finds scrap that was somebody else's garbage, and Jose Gomez begins to make instruments out of the trash in Keturah. This is Jose Gomez, and there on his right hand, he's holding a violin made of scrap metal, and there with two large oil tins He's made a, a large special guitar. You see this next slide. This girl is holding a violin, and you, I don't know if you can see it from where you're stand, sitting, but underneath her chin, there's a bent fork holding the strings in place. This next picture, the girl has a saxophone made of old pipes from a factory and bottle caps that have become the valves for that baritone sax. The next slide we see an oil drum that becomes the bass violin and then a harp made from old swing set pipes. <laughs> I love it. And what happens is these kids, guess what? <laughs> they weren't just sit down, sent down the proverbial Nile River and forgotten. Their giftings were explored. And we don't know the spiritual ramifications of this, but we do know the physical of meeting the physical needs. People started noticing. Their videos went viral. People got together, made a documentary, and now these kids out of, out of the trash heap, out of the garbage dump, they're touring the world, doing a orchestra a symphony. They, they, they are doing music for, for filled auditoriums, and the name, uh, the name of their whole group is called Landfill Harmonic. And I love this, I love the tagline. It says, The world sends us garbage, we send back music. I believe Jesus sent me today to tell you. Jesus wants me to tell you today, that's what I do. I take garbage and I can make gold. I can make treasure out of trash. I can make your mess into a message that makes other people re see redemption and salvation. I'm best at, I didn't come to make shiny things shinier. Jesus came to make broken things whole. That's his best business. And he did it for Moses and he did it for the Hebrew people. And today in 2019, he'll do it for you and the children and the children that will show up tonight and tomorrow night and all throughout this week. That, that they're, they're, you're, We're going to see some people that are in their own Nile rivers. There are going to be some people that are in their own issues, their own drama, their own situations where the enemy's trying to steal their salvation. And God is going to scoop them up. And out of the trash, he's going to form a beautiful testimony. Would you pray with me this morning with your eyes closed and your heads bowed? And just for a moment, just, just for a moment, as, as the music just pulls down for just a second, you guys can keep playing. You don't have to pull out. Just keep playing. But listen, friend, if you're here and you've drifted or you've never invited Jesus to be the center of your life, you say, Jeremy, I, I, I think the enemy's kept salvation from coming to me, and I, I need to surrender to that. I need to lean into Jesus. I, I, I would like him to be, I'd like him to be my, my Lord, be the center of my life. If you need to do that for the first time or the first time in a long time, right now, just put a hand up in the air and then you can put it down. Hand up in the air and you put it down. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly. Okay. In your own words, you would simply say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you be the center of my life? I, I, you have a plan for me. I want the picture of you to be seen in my life too. 
Would you take everything that's in my hands? Would you give me a fresh start? I make a terrible savior for myself. I need you to wash my sin away and give me a fresh start. You would say it like this. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. I surrender my heart and my life and my future to you. Will you help me with my next steps? In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here and there's something that you've been put in and you're inviting Jesus to do his drawing out work, to draw you out of it, and you need his hand to scoop you up, you need, you, there's something going on in life. It, it may be public. It may be private. Everybody may know. Nobody may know. It may just be between you and God, but there's, there's something broken, and you need to ask the healer the one who fixes it to put his hands on the situation. If that's you, would you just put a hand in the air? I need Jesus to fix what's broken today, to heal what's hurting today. Jesus, I pray that you would place the ointment on that hurt, that you would heal that wound. Lord, the dysfunction that is there, that they would be drawn out and delivered from that as they put their trust in you day by day. Lord, there are some that they're living in yesterday. May they settle their yesterdays with you today, Jesus. That we're not going to be defined by what we see in the rearview mirror, but we're going to be looking forward. We're going to let deliverance define us, not this dysfunction. And we are going to allow you to settle our yesterdays and give us today and tomorrow that are gifts from you in Jesus' mighty name. Now, would everybody, would you stand with me? I'm going to invite you to fill the room with prayer. We're going to, we're going to all pray together. And all of it, now what we're doing is we're going to turn the service in just a, to a quick prayer meeting over the next generation. Yeah, you might read online that the, the millennials are this or Gen Y is this or they can't even run a power tool, bless God. But there are seeds of potential tucked inside the next generation. There is greatness in them. And, and, and by the help of God, MWC and Timber Creek Church, we are not going to be known as the church that talks against the generation. But we're, we're all for the next generation. That we're going to build them up. We're going to encourage them. We're going to see with insight. We're going to say what we see. We're going to speak life over them. So, so God, every child that's in this room, that's in the nursery, that's in pre-K, that's in elementary, right here on this campus right now, kids and grandkids, cousins and nephews, nieces, God, we pray blessings upon them. We pray that the that, that that devil, that the Holy Spirit would just be with them, that the devil who tried as he might to get talons in them, to try and get a handlebar on their morality at a young age, we're believing, Holy Spirit, that you are going to cover them, and you're going to protect them, and you're going to give them dreams and visions just like you gave Joseph. God, you're going to give them dreams. You're going to tuck away just like you tucked away into Moses, giftings and abilities of leadership and guidance and you're, you're going to make them some incredible engineers and some scientists and some doctors and some school teachers and some vo-tech vocational workers and some pastors that are in there right now. They don't even understand all that's going on when they see the cross, but you are planting seeds in them as a child as we pray. We change that stinky little diaper, but we're praying blessings over this child. We're praying they would rise up in the muscles of their spirituality. God, may we never rely on MWC to be the primary component to our kids' spirituality. This church is a poor substitute for a parent. God, I pray for the parents to be built up and united together, that they, even though they may have made mistakes in the past, that their mistakes don't hinder them from being a prophet and a prophet to speaking life over their children and showing them the way to Jesus because, Lord, Lord, you're not going to be stopped. The enemy, though he may try, will not keep salvation from coming. Now, come on. Let's give the Lord the biggest round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We give you glory today. We lift up the next generation in Jesus' mighty name. 
And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.